American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. If you find the concept of Bitcoin confusing, you are not alone. The virtual currency has been a constant source of controversy, but is still not understood. A Bitcoin is a digital token with no physical backing that can be sent electronically from one user to another anywhere in the world. Unlike a traditional payment network like Visa, the Bitcoin network is not run by a single company or person or central bank. The system is instead run by a decentralized network of computers around the world that keep track of all Bitcoin transactions. The record of Bitcoin transactions that these computers are constantly updating is known as the blockchain. The Bitcoin network, including all balances and transactions, is stored on every computer helping to maintain the network, about 9,500 computers in all as of late 2017. Most transactions are people buying and selling virtual currency on exchanges, speculating on future prices. A whole world of high-frequency traders has sprung up around Bitcoin. The price fluctuates constantly and is determined by open market bidding on virtual currency exchanges similar to the way that stock and gold prices are determined by bidding on exchanges. The value of cryptocurrencies soared in 2017 before slumping, with Bitcoin losing nearly two-thirds of its value since mid-December, and probably more since then. The tumble in cryptocurrencies erased nearly $500 billion of market value over the past month, and many suspect it can get a lot worse, as in a virtual wipeout. The lack of regulatory structure has made cryptocurrency a breeding ground for illegal activities like frauds and Ponzi schemes. So why doesn't the government make it illegal? Well, if the US government made it illegal for Americans to participate in this network, the computers and people around the world keeping the records in other countries would still be able to continue. One of the most popular business plans is to use Bitcoin to move money over international borders Large international money transfers can take weeks when they go through banks, while millions of dollars of Bitcoin can be moved in minutes. So what could go wrong? Indeed, a lot goes wrong. And when a Bitcoin exchange or a person holding vast amounts of Bitcoin goes into bankruptcy, you can imagine the fraudulent transfer questions, among other issues. So here to clean up this mess of this bursting bubble is Alan Rosenberg. Alan practices in Miami with the Markowitz, Ringel, Trustee, and Hartog firm, and he's the author of a new article in the ABI Journal on the cryptocurrency craze. So welcome, Alan, to ABI Podcast. Thank you, Sam, and the ABI for inviting me to be a guest on today's podcast. Uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are really exciting topics, and whether you are or aren't a believer in cryptocurrency, the fact is there are millions of cryptocurrency users out there. This means that there's a significant probability that we, as bankruptcy practitioners, are going to one day run into some issues related to cryptocurrencies. So it's important that we at least have a basic understanding of Bitcoins and the challenges they impose in the bankruptcy setting. In any event, you asked a question in your opening. It was, why doesn't the government make Bitcoin illegal? And while I don't have any personal knowledge as to what the government is thinking, I'd like to expand a bit on your answer. Um, so at the end of the day, I think the answer to your question boils down to two things, money and information. So first, let me say a bit about the money aspect. Now, given the volatility of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, 
It's no surprise that governmental regulators are putting up some roadblocks to stall Bitcoin's progress of becoming a more mainstream type of investment. But while the government figures out how they're going to regulate Bitcoin, the IRS has already moved full speed ahead regarding how to tax Bitcoins. In short, gains from buying and selling Bitcoins are taxable, and gains from mining digital currency are also taxable. And given the volume of Bitcoin transactions that are taking place by and between U.S. taxpayers, I think the government has the potential to collect huge revenue streams from Bitcoin transactions. Now, aside from the money aspect, I also mentioned that information might be a driving factor behind the government's decision to hold off on outlawing Bitcoin. And here's what I mean by that. In a sense, I think that the value of Bitcoin is fueled, at least in part, by its non-regulated character and the fact that it's this sort of covert and exciting way to use and transfer funds. I suspect that those days are probably coming to an end sometime soon, and that if Bitcoin is going to be more widely used and accepted, the government is going to impose certain regulations. Now, implicit in the government's ability to regulate Bitcoin and its users is the fact that it will simply need more information about Bitcoin users and what they're doing with their Bitcoins, and perhaps even what they've already done with their Bitcoins. By granting the government the ability to collect that type of information, it will allow the government to monitor and examine the behavior of its citizens in a way that it hasn't been able to legally do before. See, right now the government can't arbitrarily look into your bank account, but the blockchain, on the other hand, is a public ledger that's visible to everyone. The only thing that you can't readily see are the private information of the users. But if the government is given a way to identify Bitcoin users, which I assume that they'll want to do, the government will basically be able to monitor all the spending habits of Bitcoin users. This will make it easier for the government to determine whether Bitcoins have been used for unlawful purposes and will likely curb future efforts to use Bitcoin in that way. But Bitcoin users, it seems to me, are folks who, uh, by and large, uh, are, uh, let's say, shy about the government peeking into their business. They're not likely to readily disclose um, what they're up to. That's, that's actually a really good point. Um, most Bitcoin users use a, a they use a program called Coinbase mm -hmm. to to conduct Bitcoin transactions, and somewhat recently, certainly I think it was within the last year, the IRS actually was successful in subpoenaing information from Coinbase, um, which I believe will allow them to to find out what Bitcoin transactions have been taking place. So whether or not uh, people, you know, want to voluntarily disclose the Bitcoin transactions that they've engaged in. I, I don't really think they're going to have a choice. Okay, so you made a great point about the tax aspect, about why the uh, the government would be interested in, um, if not encouraging, not uh, uh, closing this down as a as a practice because of the tax revenue. Well, let's get into sort of the bankruptcy um, angle of things. Um, because your piece does a really nice job setting up the core fraudulent transfer issue in a bankruptcy case, um, defining what is property of the estate. So is Bitcoin property or is it currency and why does it make a difference? Okay, so, so just typically speaking, when you think of a currency, you're thinking of fiat currency, which is currency that's issued and backed by a government. And cryptocurrency clearly doesn't fall within that category. But even though it's not fiat currency, it can still be used to pay for a variety of goods and services. Overstock.com and Microsoft are two examples of companies that are currently accepting Bitcoins as payment. And in fact, down here in South Florida, 
There are even people who are selling real estate for Bitcoins. So all in all, uh, that's that's and uh, I'm not just talking about small pieces of real estate. There was recently in in the Gables and Coral Gables here in South Florida, there was a sale of some of some real property for a couple million dollars worth of bitcoins. Um, but all in all, I, I think there are definitely good arguments for adopting either definition of bitcoin. But what's much more important than the technical definition of bitcoin is the impact of adopting one or the other. Now, outside of bankruptcy, particularly in the criminal sector, determining whether bitcoins are currency or property can have a huge impact, especially if your client is being charged with money laundering or engaging in some sort of unlawful financial transaction. But in a bankruptcy context, the adopted definition can also have significant impact on a client's case on a variety of fronts. And one example that comes to my mind deals with exemptions. So, for example, here in Florida, we have a category of property ownership called Tenancy by the Entireties, or TBE, which is exempted Florida. So in order for property to qualify as TBE, there needs to be certain characteristics, which are often referred to in the, in the case law as the unities. These unities include the unity of time, meaning that the interest must have commenced simultaneously, and the unity of title, meaning that the interest must have originated from the same instrument. Now, when it comes to currency in a bank account, this means that the account was opened by a husband and wife at the same time in both of their names using the same document and it's often accompanied by the married couple checking a little, uh, a little box on the signature card that says tenancy by the entirety. But unlike traditional currency, bitcoins aren't kept in a bank account and they don't require this type of documentation to open an account. Instead, bitcoins are kept in something called a bitcoin wallet that's digitally created through an app on your phone or computer. So logistically speaking, um, it would appear that it would be very difficult for a debtor filing bankruptcy to establish all of the unities necessary um, to to sustain um, in a, or to uh, to apply for the the TBE exemption in Florida. I, I will say there's one caveat to this. There are some Bitcoin wallet platforms that have the option of requiring multiple signatures in order to perform Bitcoin transactions. However, uh, in my opinion, it's still pretty unclear whether or not that would be uh, enough to, to satisfy all the necessary unities. Now, that's, that's from the currency perspective. On the other hand, if we say that Bitcoins are property, then proving the applicability of the TBE exemption, at least in Florida, will probably be a whole lot easier. It could be as simple as just showing that the debtor and his or her spouse purchased the Bitcoins while they were married and intended for the Bitcoin to be jointly owned because in Florida, at least, when a married couple jointly owns personal property, a presumption arises that the property is owned as tenants by the entireties. So this is just one of many examples of why the currency versus property debate can make a really big difference in a bankruptcy case. Wow. So how have, um, I, I take that there haven't been many reported opinions uh, interpreting uh, Bitcoin in a, in a bankruptcy context, um, but how have they how have they treated it so far? Well, you're correct. There aren't many cases that address Bitcoins in a bankruptcy context. Uh, in fact, I went through Westlaw yesterday, and I actually didn't find a single reported U.S. bankruptcy case that even had the word Bitcoin in it. Um, <laughs> there is the Hashfast technology case that's cited in my article, but that's not a reported, that's not a reported opinion. Um, most of the case law seems to be coming out of the criminal context. 
-hmm. And based on my research, um, you know, courts have taken both sides. Criminal courts um, generally, and especially in the context of money laundering and unlicensed money transferring cases, often choose to classify Bitcoins as currency. And I suspect the reason behind this is because if they were to classify Bitcoin in any other way, it would potentially remove behavior that is clearly criminal from falling within the scope of the criminal statutes as they're currently written. But again, there's there's another criminal case in Florida that I also cited in my article where the judge went to great lengths to distinguish Bitcoin from money and basically said that Bitcoin has a very long way to go before it's treated as the equivalent of money. So for now, I don't really see a whole lot of consistency at all in the classification of Bitcoins. And so we'll probably just have to wait and see what happens. And frankly, um, with some of the recent dips in the value of Bitcoin, I think it's entirely possible that we'll have a little wave of Bitcoin-related bankruptcy filings in the near future that will give the courts an opportunity to explore the subject a bit more. And so how how could a court, or anyone for that matter, fix a value on something that fluctuates so much from day to day? Um, well, Sam, um, this really seems to be one of the major issues that's troubling governmental authorities when it comes to Bitcoin, you know, as you mentioned, the value of Bitcoins fluctuates, you know, pretty wildly and it happens so quickly that it can be a really risky investment. And in the context of bankruptcy, it also presents a problem because it makes Bitcoins extremely difficult to value. But Bitcoins are worth on any particular day versus a day or two later could be drastically different. And in terms of actually settling a Bitcoin-based avoidance claim, the difference between the value of the Bitcoins at the time of the transfer to the time of the settlement to the time that the court actually approved the 9019 motion could be all over the place. Mm -hmm. So in short, uh, I don't really have a solution at this point to pegging down a set value for Bitcoins and certainly not in such a way that it would be fair for both the debtor and the creditors in a bankruptcy case. I think because Bitcoins are such a unique asset it's probably going to require some legislative intervention because the laws as they're currently designed just don't seem to be d designed to take that kind of volatility into account. Obviously, the legislative process uh, is a long one. Uh, and, and so it seems uh, as an interim matter that you know courts are going to make this law. Courts are going to fill this gap in terms of um, making the uh, property currency distinction, and then uh, putting a fix on value, setting up whatever test that they um, surmise is reasonable, and then it goes up on appeal. This is going to be judge-made law. Yes, uh, I, I I agree with you. Um, certainly that the legislative solution is one that will take time. But, I mean, I, I think that if if Bitcoins are ever going to be widely accepted, there's going to need to be increased regulation. Um, because otherwise, there's really not... Right now, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of recourse if something goes wrong. Um, and frankly, you know, with bankruptcy courts are courts of equity. So while they, they you know, they have a set of laws that they're supposed to follow. At the end of the day, they always need to take equity into account. And when when the prices of Bitcoins are fluctuating so wildly, it's it's really hard to reach an equitable result. And what, what comes to mind 
right now, I'm thinking there there's Mt. Gox is a very right. large bankruptcy. Right. Yeah, it's a very large bankruptcy. Um, and what happened in a nutshell is that, um, you know, the Bitcoin exchange was hacked, as many of them have been. Um, and, you know, lots of Bitcoins were stolen. And at the time that the Bitcoins were stolen, they had a value. And the company filed for bankruptcy and everybody had to file proofs of claim. And, you know, a couple a couple of years down the line and now Bitcoin is worth a whole lot more than it was when the company filed for bankruptcy. So you've got all these people who have proofs of claim pegged at one at one value, but they're really what's really going to happen is that the owners of the company who, you know, perhaps inadvertently allowed themselves to be hacked are going to get a windfall because now even though they lost hundreds of thousands of bitcoins they basically, if they liquidate the Bitcoins, there's enough money to pay all the creditors for the reduced value of their claims, and all the excess is going to go to the equity, and that's that's really not fair. And I, you know, I understand that the judges are going to have to do something, but really, their their job is to interpret the law. They really can't they really can't make it. Um, but really, I th I think at the end of the day, if Bitcoins are going to become a major player in our economy, the answer has to be regulation, you know, and if and I'm sure some people will probably not like that because at the end of the day, you know, Bitcoin really was designed to be a somewhat anonymous way of engaging in financial transactions. And obviously, with increased regulation, users who were probably originally attracted to Bitcoin by the promise of anonymity might lose interest and Bitcoin might use user might lose some of its users, you know, they can they can go back to using cash. But in order for Bitcoin to really play a part in our economy, someone's got to step in and someone's got to do something drastic. Right. And doesn't it have to be a, a kind of a global understanding or solution or a, a agreement among, you know, many nations? It's not just a matter of, you know, of the United States. I mean, you have the head of the World Bank, uh, you know, just recently comparing cryptocurrencies to Ponzi schemes. That doesn't sound like... Um, worldwide regulators have much opinion of, of the future of Bitcoin. Yes, that's certainly true. A lot of regulators and big name people in the financial world have come out and expressed some skeptical or even negative views about Bitcoin. Listen, it's true that Bitcoins are speculative and people say, you know, that people don't understand why they have value. But to that, I would, I would pose this question. I don't think anyone can argue that Facebook is a valuable company. But what do they really do? They don't they don't sell anything. <laughs> I mean, it's just a page with your personal information, and I know on my on my Facebook page it's just pictures of my friends and their kids. And yet I don't think anyone's going to argue that Facebook is valuable. So, you know, perhaps a couple of years down the line, cryptocurrency will be in the same place. And additionally, um there have been some articles addressing um, the, you know, blockchain as a technology for for other purposes other than Bitcoin. Right. So you, you really you never know, you never know what will come out of it. Um, you know, I, I think that some people are maybe being a little bit too quick to judge. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what time takes us. Well, we'll see. Blockchain certainly is a shiny new technology, and. There, there is a lot of interest in uh, cutting-edge technology. Nobody wants to be uh, 
the last one in on the next Facebook, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Alan, thanks very much for your take on uh, just touching the surface of this fascinating uh, craze. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I commend all to read Alan's piece in the February issue of the ABI Journal titled The Cryptocurrency Phase, Bitcoins and Fraudulent Transfer Litigation. And we thank our listeners for joining us. There are more than 200 podcasts on bankruptcy subjects posted to our website at abi.org newsroom. Until next time, this is Sam Giordano for the American Bankruptcy Institute saying good day. Yeah.